You're listening to Overtired. This episode is brought to you by Casper, a premium mattress at the fraction of the price. Find out more at casper.com slash overtired. I'm Christina Warren, joined as always by Brett Terpstra. What's up, Brett? Not much. How, how are you? Um, I'm recovering from a cold, so I want to apologize to our listeners, uh, first off, for my cold voice. Uh, you got a cold in, in San Francisco? I, I got a cold on an airplane back from San Francisco. Oh. Yeah. So what happened was um, I flew out to Apple um, last week, um, actually when we were supposed to record this podcast, and um, had a, had a, they had a, a security roundtable with some members of the press and some analysts, and I went out for that. And um, first of all, uh, I should talk about uh, my process of getting there because that's actually a funny story. But once I was there, I was there for like a day. And then I came back uh, to New York, and so I flew from San Jose to LAX, then from LAX to New York. And about halfway through my Los Angeles flight, uh, which was my fifth flight in 36 hours, I uh, realized that I was getting a cold. Did you know who to blame? Uh, I did not. Some guy in the back just sneezing without covering his mouth? Uh, Probably. Although it was weird because from my flight from San Jose to LAX, I actually did not have anyone in the seat next to me. And on the flight from LAX to JFK, the seat between me and the woman on the end was empty. So I don't even know who to blame, uh, but but someone. But what I blame is the fact that to get to San Jose, it took me three flights. Now, uh, that's because... When I booked the flight, and this is where I take full responsibility for my own stupidity, although I do believe Agencia played a role in this because of their terrible UI, um, <laughs> the trip was last minute, and I did a search for some flights you know, to, to San Jose because it's easier to go from San Jose to Cupertino than it is to go from SFO to Cupertino. Um, it doesn't make any sense for, to, to fly into San Francisco and then take a two-hour Caltrain ride. It just, that just doesn't make sense. So... A lot of the flights were going out of Newark. Now, Newark is one of the three major New York airports, but it's in New Jersey. And I live in Brooklyn. And getting to Newark is simply a pain in the ass and an expensive Uber ride that I just didn't want to deal with. So I would much rather take a $40 Uber to JFK or LaGuardia than like an $80 or $90 trip. That's just how it works. So I was looking for alternatives. And um, I first you know, saw like the Newark flights. And then I searched again. And I saw this great flight going from JFK to Charlotte and then from Charlotte to San Jose. So I booked that. I'm like, oh, that's great. And I'll get in around 1.30. This is perfect. So I get to Charlotte and uh, I go to board my next flight and I look up on the call sign, you know, the, the little um, uh, moniker, the, the little digital sign that says where you're going. And uh, it says uh, San Jose, Costa Rica. There's a San Jose in Costa Rica? I guess that makes yeah. sense. It's a way more Costa Rican name than it. Okay. It is. It is. I was, <laughs> I was not aware of this either because this shows how much I know about <laughs> You should have just taken that one. That's what everybody said. Everybody was like, you, you should have just gotten on the plane to Costa Rica. And look, that would have been a great story. Um, they have good expedition laws, I think. Yeah, they do. And I had my passport. I mean, it would have been hilarious. <laughs> you know, like I could have done it a couple of things. One, at this point, it's like 1030 in the morning. And I'm freaking out because I've got to be at this meeting the next morning. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And, and number two, this is the real thing. I was not packed for that. I was packed for San Francisco. And granted, it was warm in San Francisco, but I was not packed for Costa Rica. 
uh, I did not have uh, those sorts of accoutrements on me. So me, and, and let's keep in mind, I'm an intelligent person. Yet it took me until Charlotte to realize I was on the wrong flight. So I then had to book a flight to the real San Jose. Fortunately, I was able to go from San Jose to Denver, then from Denver to San Jose. Wow. Or from Charlotte to Denver, Denver to San Jose. So I got in at like 9 o'clock Pacific time, um, a good, you know, eight or nine hours after I, I was thinking I was going to land. So um, I've, couple- I've done similar things to, on uh, on the New York subways. And uh, on BART, actually, but BART does not go to Costa Rica, so no, it wasn't not. as bad. It wasn't as bad. Well, the problem is, because I originally searched for the correct place, my trip itinerary still said San Jose, California. Uh, so when well, I that's my, messed up. It is messed up. And I, it, it should have changed the itinerary name when, when my flight changed. I, it also, I believe, should have maybe had some sort of flag when I booked a hotel in Cupertino. <laughs> And a flight in San Jose, Costa Rica at the same time. Don't you think that, like, as a QA policy, there should be something that pops up and goes, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right? Well, okay, so as a brief side note, the Apple App Store review process, which the last couple times I've gotten through in three days, it's been fine. But so many of my rejections have been because of words I shouldn't have used in the description, like naming an, uh, an unreleased operating system or something like that. Right. That kind of stuff should be, you sh- a bot should check that before it verifies when you submit it. Instead of having to wait totally two free. days, I got a flu in Vegas once. I didn't know, and it wasn't like influenza. It was like a, I guess it was like a bad cold. I spent a whole week in Vegas just hacking and and no voice. I lost my voice from the moment I got off the plane. <laughs> Desert pollen, I'm told. I guess that's a thing. Yeah, it is. And so maybe that was what's what's doing this because the pollen is now bad in New York. Maybe it was also bad out there. I don't even know. All I know is I've got a cold. All I know is I didn't go to Costa Rica. I went to Cupertino um, instead of Costa Rica. But I almost went to Costa Rica. And uh, yeah. Well, l- let me do my uh, my mental health segment. Yes. And then we'll talk about why you went to California. Yeah. Why you didn't go to Costa Rica. Why I didn't go to Costa Rica. Um, (laughs) So, okay. So I'll finish my, my whole ADHD testing next week to, you know, get my third diagnosis. But, um, in the meantime, my doctor agreed to put me on Stratera. And while it has had marginally good effects for my attention span, it has had some really weird side effects that have been amazingly good like completely unexpected. So to explain, when I'm asleep, if anything or anyone touches my back, I jolt awake hard enough to hurt myself, often slam my head into a headboard. And uh, it's been like that my whole life. And since taking Stratera, that has gone away. After about two weeks, suddenly I realized that a cat could jump on me in the middle of the night and I didn't, I didn't flinch. I barely woke up. And then uh, noise sensitivity has gone way, way down. Like that's been um, the my, our bird. We have a, an African gray parrot that when it starts screeching, I, I flip out. Like I try not to, but my brain just goes haywire when there's loud noises like that unexpectedly. That's gone away. Like she can wake me up in the morning screeching and I don't get tense or anxious about it. 
those are weird. I don't know what it's doing to me, but I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. That is weird, but like it sounds good. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of, it almost makes me wish that Stratera would fix my attention the rest of the way because, well, I've lost 15 pounds because I've been hiking every day because when I can't work, instead of like banging my head on the keyboard, I've just been going out for long hikes and I've, I feel great. I'm sleeping better. In fact, I am, I am so well rested that I think we should actually change the name of the show to the show formerly known as Overtired. I like that. I like that. Have you read? Uh, I, I, no, because like I, I, just given the way that things go, I don't know if this well rest thing will work. Now, did you re- did you know that uh, Ariana Huffington actually has a new book out about sleep? Yeah, she's been doing the talk show circuit. Yeah, uh, and uh, she has an Airbnb. She, she's offering her own house as an Airbnb for like contest winners as a promo for this book, where she will. She will make sure that you get a good night's sleep for one night. Will you be sleeping under Casper mattress? I I don't know. Why did you want to do a, a a sponsor break already? No, I was just <laughs> I was just since they're sponsoring the show, I just figured I'd try I to assume, about it. I assume Ariana Huffington has some amazing mattress. I would think for I someone think- for someone with that much you know uh, success and money and an obsession with sleep, I think it's probably the the best thing in her house is probably her mattress yeah we think so uh now aol has nap pods now when you worked at aol you worked remotely so you never got to go into the office oh i I did though i've been to both new york and uh dulles offices and And, and uh, tell us about the nap pods well they're they're very they look japanese okay they look like something you would see in japan but, well, apparently they are things in Japan. You can actually get both a, a hotel room for crying and a hotel room for napping. Um, and, and look, you, you make fun of the crying thing. But look, sometimes you have a bad day and you just need a good freaking cry. Like, I totally understand it. Yeah, but I have no problem if that happens. Just crying in a corner. I'm okay with it. But I don't need to pay to cry. I mean, I live in New York, so I can just cry on the subway. <laughs> and I've cried on the subway. There's an, and there'll oh, probably be someone jerking off to you doing it from across the subway. <laughs> Oh, most um, definitely. Most, <laughs> without a doubt. That's totally how that works, especially depends on what part of the city you're in. But without a doubt, that's absolutely how that works. But yeah. But yeah, so uh, they're like, they're chairs that you pull this big encasement down over you and there's sound and vision and it's almost deprivation chamber. But if I recall correctly, you can play like music in it and like noise canceling sine waves and whatnot. And then you can just, it's in a quiet room to begin with, but the room is shared with like, there's a ragged couch in the New York one. There was anyway, that was like, I wouldn't touch it. But the sleeping pod looked pretty crisp and new. Yeah. No, I mean, and and I have to say, I mean, a lot of people, when that came out about HuffPo and AOL, like having the nap pods, like a lot of people were rolling their eyes at it. But I actually think it's pretty important, especially if you're asking people to work all kinds of ridiculous hours. Yeah. Having that sort of place, I think it's probably a good thing. Like, it doesn't mean that you like are taking a break in the middle of the day and like in lieu of your eight hours, you're napping. It's more like I need a 15 minute recharge so I can continue to work even longer because my career is no longer a nine to five, but like a, you know, or I have a very talkative coworker that I just need to escape for 10 minutes. Um. I mean, totally. I mean, I think that's, that's a valid thing too, without a doubt. There's a lot of talk right now about burnout especially in the tech world, like people, yes. people 
working too many hours and yes. and productivity suffering and kind of seems like duh right well <laughs> i think well it is duh but i think what happens is that we've been kind of for so many years it's been about this go 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 thing and what's happened is that we're now you know we're like on our third wave you know bubble companies whatnot you know you had like the dot bombs then you had like the first web 2.0 thing and now you're like your second wave and and that's just from like internet companies right i'm not even talking about like any company before that and I feel like people who are about, you know, are, are in our age range, you know, millennials, older millennials, young Gen Xers, um, it's one of those things where we're finally like reaching that point where we're like, we're not in our 20s anymore. Yeah. And that that stuff catches up to you. Have I told you why I left AOL? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's I mean, been it long enough have... that I can talk about it. I've always yeah, tried to not yeah, burn bridges. Not... Well, it's, it's been a while. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's been that bridge. And well, I've, I, I actually asked. What's that? AOL, AOL is owned by a different company now. I mean, they're, they're a Verizon corporation <laughs> now. So, like, right. honestly, I think that you're totally fair to do it. So, I I had been the leader of my group, the the people that built Engadget and Tua and all of the blogs, the like we, right? And uh, then they bought another company. I'm not going to throw names out, but they bought another company and they made them our bosses. And I had always had very strict rules about we work normal hours. And then, if, and, 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 and this company, if I recall correctly, it was led by two guys who had previous relationships with the company, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, just, just making sure I'm thinking of the right company. Okay. Yes, you are. Um, and, uh, and I always said, you know, if a project can't be done in hours when everyone is getting well rested and working and still being able to see their family, then the project goals need to be realigned. You know, like schedule things in a way that and then and ultimately you end up getting a better product. But these guys came in with a startup mentality that was like, OK, this is going to be a working weekend. We need all hands on deck for 20 hours over the weekend. And and I started pushing back against that because uh, we were putting out we were putting out products that were flopping because they weren't finished. They were created by people on, you know, four hours of sleep max <laughs> and and ultimately, I just I got really fed up with the kind of the new startup mentality that I mean, it no, works, totally. works like what one out of 10 companies and that... uh, well, it does. Well, <laughs> and, and at a certain point, you get to the thing where I mean, this is like one of the, the classic like startup things is that you hire adults and the adults are like, you got to go home at a normal time. Yeah. You know, I mean, even Facebook, I mean, Facebook, they work long hours. But I mean, I think that the, the Facebook that was in the social network where everybody is, you know, hacking at all hours and getting drunk in the pool and living in a house like that ceased being a thing <laughs> probably, you know, seven or eight years ago, yeah. you know, like it, it, and, and Google. Now, what Google will do and Facebook probably to a lesser extent, but I, but I think they still do it. What they do is they bribe you to be there all day. So they let you get your laundry done and they have like gourmet food and they have, um, you know, buses that'll take you to and from your apartments and your apartments are actually owned many times by the company or, or, you know, you can get a cheaper rate there. That sounds eerily or whatever. cultish. Uh, it is. <laughs> and that's the whole thing, you know, and, and you have unlimited food, and you have a gym and you have all this stuff on site. So what they do, it's actually in some ways worse than asking you to work all nighters because they're real. They're literally they never want you to leave. And what they do is they kind of suck the the work life balance away from it. And and I've noticed at startups, you know, I've worked at at, at a company that you know is eleven years old now, but has been around. Uh, you know, has gone through its kind of startup stuff, and it's a media company, so it's a little bit different than if you're like a big tech company. But it's the same sort of thing where you know you start to. 
whenever you're at anything that's small, it's getting bigger. I think a lot of times you do start to see your, your work-life balance sort of go away and that you spend more and more time with your coworkers and you're always talking about work and you're always hanging out with people after work and, and, it, and, and work does kind of become your whole social life. And no one else wants to hang out with you because all you have to talk about is work. Right. And and then you find yourself when you're out with work people and, and, and they're like, let's not talk about work. And then you're like, what do we talk about? Yeah, because this blank. is what you're like. You totally blank. <laughs> when I was in a sorority, that would kind of be one of those things too, where when we were, we would have like, I had a sorority within the sorority and like one of our rules with our sorority within the sorority, which basically just meant like a, a cool girls club was that it's we would not talk click, about this. called a Christina. It is called a click. I know, but we were called the Epsilon Zeta Eta Thetas, the easy hoes. So I'm very proud of that this day the my sorority within a sorority we were the easy hoes and it was genius um and uh so so but my click you're you're, you're exactly correct like one of our rules was we don't talk about the sorority because we just didn't you know what i mean because because that, was that the first about, rule of sorority within a sorority is you do not talk about sorority within <laughs> the sorority a sorority kind, yeah it kind of was uh we were we, we kind of like what one of our members did liken us to the masons and uh which i thought was always funny i was like we're not that hardcore we would do more things like we'd have to go to sorority um uh, planning events you know for 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 rush in in the fall and you have to meet up over the summer and and get together and do all these team building exercises and plan out rush and it's kind of a huge pain in the ass and and the reality is is most of the reasons you're in a sorority is you want to meet other people and hang out with guys and like drink and have a good time and that sounds like my understanding of a sorority yes i mean that's why everybody the idea of of trust falls in a sorority just is unfathomable (laughs) Team building which, exercise weekends, which which nobody really, which exactly, <laughs> and and this this was my feeling. This was my clicks feeling. So you know, we're the people who, on the way to this place, because we it was uh, we like drove to somebody's parents' cabin or something. Remember, we drove to a liquor store, and most of us were still under twenty one at this time. But we had an older sister who was was over twenty one. Go into this liquor store. We 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 stock up on on happy meals as we call them or booze. And proceeded to, those of us who were not driving, get shit-faced in the car on the way there. And then, right as we're pulling up to the place, because there was a strict no-alcohol policy at this place, I have to say, for this weekend, because it was an official sorority event, so you're not supposed to drink. That so, sounds backwards, as too. Pu- but... it, it, completely, but that's how that works. <laughs> I mean, you know, the uh, frats can have beer and, and alcohol. Sororities can't. It's a weird, messed-up, patriarchal, stupid thing. And then this is an official event, so we're definitely not supposed to be having alcohol, especially since most of the members are under 21, and it's in someone's house. Anyway, we're, we're totally breaking the rules here. And you, you talked about why you left your job. I'm talking about how I got drunk in my sorority. <laughs> um and so, you know, we're pulling into the into the car and like literally the girl, Catherine, I'll never forget, she was driving. She was like, hold on, I need to do my shots. You know, and it was one of those things where like literally we would take trips out to the car in between like these trust exercises and stuff so that we could continue to get drunker and drunker. That's, and everybody's like, uh, what do they call that? Um, alcoholism. Yeah, completely. Okay. It was we were completely being alcoholics. It was completely that way. Um, but I mean, you know, that that's. That's because that's what you have to do to escape the cult. Because if you if you let it, the sorority would become a cult. Yeah. Well, I've always, I've been I've been watching The Path on Hulu, uh-huh. which is about a cult. Have you seen it at all? I have not. It's really, really good. I've heard good things though. Um, but it yeah, I have to wonder, having grown up in a very religious home, what the difference between religion and cult is, and I'm pretty sure it's simply numbers. Like once you hit a critical mass, you're yes, okay, that's your exactly, religion. No, 
that it, 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 it's, it's numbers and it's time. Um, because if you look at something like, and, and, and I don't want to get religious on our podcast, but I might as well. I mean, if you look at something like Mormonism, which most Christians actually consider a cult because they, it, it's not, uh, I think it, most, it, it, most humans probably consider well, that a cult. Yeah. Well, but, well, but Mormons call themselves Christians, but most other sure. Christians and from, most other like denominations don't consider Mormons Christians because they have their own book. And, and, and frankly, it's, it's a religion that was formed in the 1800s where there's a paper trail where, you know, where the founder came from. And, and, and ostensibly there's really actually nothing different about Mormonism than any other religion except the passage of time. Um, but, as that has gained more and more members, especially across the world, it, it's interesting how it's become a lot more uh, palpable and like acceptable. Okay. You can run for president. Oh, <laughs> you can run for president. You can you can you know whole states. You know like 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 you know um, uh, Utah. Obviously Utah, but but also Idaho has big 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 Mormon populations too. You know there are lots of things for for that for for a religion that until 1979 didn't let black people be priests right um you know what i mean and 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 still has weird anti-woman things but like it's um you know one of those things where they but they reach critical mass with the people but then you look at something like scientology and if you look at the principles between mormonism and scientology we're gonna lose so many viewers for me talking about listeners to me talking about this but but it's true if you look at them like they're not that different they're both kind of out there and there's really nothing in either one of them that, that is that dissimilar but one is very much considered a cult scientology where one is not um, or, or, or has become less of a cult, but then, but at the same token, I mean, I'm, I'm talking all this smack about Mormonism and, and I have many issues, especially with the fundamentalist branch, which I know I shouldn't confuse with the real branch, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But, <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like cover myself here, but no, I'm trying I get not it. to I get be like it. the anti-Mormon podcast, but like, if you are to look at what they believe in and, and what their things are, it's really not that fan- fantastical compared to any other religion. So you're right. I think that it comes down to, to sheer numbers. And, and I also feel like it comes down to time. Something has to be around long enough and that's how it becomes. I don't know it, though, because be there cult. are a lot of branches of Christianity I and mean, you get into like Lutherans and Presbyterians yes. and Wesleyans and uh, Baptist. And a lot of these, I mean, the, the branches are relatively recent in the grand scheme yes. of Christianity. Totally, but, but but they usually come down to still a Protestant or Catholic. Yeah, I yeah. mean that, that you does. know what I mean. So so it, it, there are very few times where you have something that like you have like even you have something like Christian Science where that's like a weird <laughs> one, right? Where people are like you or or Jehovah's Witnesses. You know what I mean? Like Jehovah's Witnesses, even though they they've been around longer than Mormons, I believe don't have as much credibility as the Mormons, and I think it's just because of numbers. They're like sororities within sororities. <laughs> Did you see that there? You can now buy a lifelike uh, doll of the characters from Fight Club. For one hundred and fifty dollars, no. you can own a Brad Pitt that represents the character that told you that everything you own will eventually own you. I, I want it. I want it, and I just looked it up. <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses are actually younger than Mormons, so I should take. I should just clarify that. Okay, I want it because I am a beautiful and unique snowflake, and I am my, my piece of every stick of IKEA furniture. I am a consumerist. Uh, I I am completely owned by my 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 fucking. So you're, you're embracing it. You're embracing your your corporate whoredom. Hi. I'm Christina. Have you met me? <laughs> I've always embraced my corporate whoredom. I'm aware of these things. No Logo by Naomi Klein is one of my favorite books ever. And what I love about that book is that it completely like makes these assertions about how 
about the, the 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 terribleness of branding and how much we are all whores to consumerism and labels and all this stuff. And it's a fantastic book, and I agree with everything in it. And yet, when I finished reading No Logo, you know what I did? You went to Taco Bell and bought Yo, Nikes. Do they no, sell those at Taco Bell? They don't. They don't. That's what I did after I read uh, Fast Food Nation and after I saw Super Size <laughs> Me. I went to McDonald's in both cases. No, after I read No Logo, I think I went to J. Crew or Lucky or maybe actually when I read this, this was like in 2000, this was more than a decade ago. I probably went to Abercrombie and fucking Fitch and bought a tremendous amount of logoed clothing, even though I agreed with everything in the book and agreed with this entire thesis. It's a genius idea and I totally get it, but I'm totally completely okay with the fact that I am a consumerist. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a corporate whore to logos and brands. And that is why I'm looking forward to this, this uh, Tyler Durden um, action figure. I will say that I'm as fascinated as you are by the whole thing, but I don't have the same reaction as you. <laughs> Okay, so I see one uh, from Funko for nine ninety nine. Where, where I just I saw a link to these. I don't know that they're like mass available yet. Available okay. on a mass because scale. there's a whole there's a whole pack that I can see of a, of a Tyler Durden, a Fight Club narrator. No, and this a is Singer. this is a single doll. I can't remember the measurements of it, but it's extremely. These are life-like. by Funko. They're pretty small. It comes. They're not that it great comes looking. with like six different hands that you can attach in different positions. And like all the limbs are flexible and it's weird because Brad Pitt for, for a long time did not sell his likeness for right. use in, in marketing at all. And now there's, uh, this is a licensed doll from what I read. So interesting. Well, I mean, I think at this point he's probably like, well, it's been long enough, you know, <laughs> at this point he's like, well, the checks aren't coming as often as they used to. Well, I mean, and you know, he and 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 his wife have to like make more movies that nobody will watch. Didn't, like by the sea. I think I saw a Star magazine on in the checkout aisle that said they were getting divorced. Well, I mean, every week they're either getting divorced or getting back together. I, I think they're actually fine. I think they're So this is fine. a together week? Uh, totally. Okay, good. I mean, honestly, I think at this point they have a bajillion kids together. They've gone through the whole everything together they went through not, <laughs> not not only did they go through the the, the, the breakup of of, of of you know brad and jen which was uh, crushing to a lot of people i was always team angelina because i think as we've discussed <laughs> on this podcast i mean she's just an order of magnitude hotter and and so for me even as like a woman i would be, like totally understand like if my husband came to me tomorrow and was like look you know um angelina totally wants to be with me i'd be like okay i get it you know what I mean? Like Olivia Wilde would be the same thing. There are like certain people I'm just like, she's, I, I understand. I'd, I'd, I'd be like more proud, I think. I'd almost be like a little bit impressed that he was able to get someone so hot. So I feel like I was always kind of team Angelina. And then they've adopted so many kids together. They've got her cancer together. They've gone through everything. Like, I think they're fine. Did you, so did you start watching vinyl yet? Yes. Uh, uh, Olivia Wilde is so good. She's so good. And hot in that in that series. I love her. I love her too. She's the best. Um, okay, so I'm just. This is. I, I found this from Blitzway. I found, I found the action figure, by the way. It's like two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, that's even more than I thought. That's a ridiculous amount of money to spend on something from a movie like that. I mean, uh, like it's a great movie, but the message of it is so counter to the idea is, of spending that kind of money on a doll. I know, but unless you're gonna sleep with it, how big is it? It's like one sixth size, so it's like oh. it's like a Barbie doll size. Yeah, that's not really useful. Anyway, so so back to the San Francisco trip. 
or the California trip by way of Cuba, uh, yes. Costa Rica. Um, uh-huh. What what was the uh, the subject that you were sent out in such a rush for? Uh, so Apple had a security uh, roundtable where um, some of their senior engineers talked with some of us in the press and analysts about um, basically how iPhone security works. So it was basically a deep dive and kind of a layman's overview of the iOS white pa- security white paper. So um, Apple has an iPhone security white paper that they update every so often that kind of goes into you know how security works on the iPhone and in iOS. And this was kind of a high level um, look at that. Hmm. And uh, was it convincing? And it was interesting, you know. I mean, it was um, it was interesting to kind of see why they've made some of the decisions they make. And, and obviously, one of their big arguments, and I think this is fair, is that they are they have a unquestionable advantage um, by controlling the software and the hardware in a way that you know Google, for instance, uh, one of the big things that they were talking about, even putting aside things like their secure boot process. And, um, you know, the way that iMessage works and some of the other, you know, things, the protected file system and and, and sandboxing and things like that, just the fact that they are able to um, control the updates is a big advantage that they have over the competitors. So, for instance, you know, Google has to, like StageFright being an example, right? Like StageFright was was an Android vulnerability where people can basically install malware on your phone through an SMS message. And it came out last year and Google patched it really quickly. The problem is, is that most Android phones are never going to get that patch because Dude, my parents are their their carriers two years behind on updates. Completely, well, like they're it, just not available because no. of the carrier. Right. Well, it's the carrier and it's the manufacturer. It's both. So, like Google, Google will issue it, but say you're you're a manufacturer, like say you're HTC. Okay, so you're HTC and you have X number of phones out in the wild, and you've had to create a slightly different customized version of Android for each of these phones. And, and this customized version, in addition to having its own skin so that you can stand out from the crowd, you've also, for certain carriers, agreed to put on certain apps and, and to make them uninstallable and, 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 and put them out a certain way. And you know, you've made maybe changes for this version that's in this region versus this region, so the driver's a little bit different. So you've got all these different software versions. Now what happens is that Google releases an update, and you have to patch that update and, and send it out to your phones. You might have six different versions depending on each carrier might have its own variation. Each country might have its own variation. So you've got to look at, okay, how do we roll these into and roll our changes into these security things without making stuff break? So there's a QA process. You've got to update it all. Then you finally get it done and you can issue it to the carriers. And now it's up to the carriers in each country to issue the updates. And some carriers are going to be like, cool, we'll go ahead and push it out right away. And some are going to be like, actually, we need to test it on our network. And others might be like, well, you know what? This phone doesn't sold in our stores anymore, so we really don't care. And right. at a certain point, HTC also is at a point where they're like, we haven't sold this phone in you know, 12, 14, 15 months. We're not going to issue updates on it anymore because it's it's out of our control. We've got all these other phones we've got to keep up with. If we keep updating old phones, how are we ever going to get to the new ones? But so, at that point, it's if you if you're on a system like that, it's up to you to make sure you're up to date and secure. Uh, in my opinion, I mean, yeah, Apple has an advantage because they can. I disagree. Kind of I disagree. Control it better, but well, I disagree though because I feel like I, I I don't feel that the user should be the one responsible for that. I don't feel like when you buy a phone, you should be having to ask yourself as a layperson. I don't think your parents or my parents should be having to say, "Will my phone get an update in a year?" Because that's an unfair question to ask. I feel like if it's a security update, frankly, if it's something that's integral to the part of the phone, Google, and this is what they are doing with some of their newer versions, they should make it so they can ad hoc update those things. By making Android so open and by letting people do whatever the hell they wanted to do with it, they created a Yeah, but they offered a really easy solution uh, in that you can go and buy an iPhone at 
at the same store a lot of times. Uh, that's true. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you're, no, you're dead on. You should just get an iPhone. But I mean, but Apple, you know, they're in a unique position. Not only do they control all the har- hardware so they can have that whole stack, but when it comes to updates, they have their own carrier laps. You know, that wasn't something that they told me at the briefing. That's just something we know. But they have their own carrier laps. So, yeah, they went during beta processes will issue things to maybe some of their carrier partners to test on stuff too. But they've got their own certified testing laps. So they push everything out directly themselves. They're not waiting on Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile or Rogers or TELUS or whoever to to hit the word go. They just push it out themselves. Now, that works mo- well most of the time. Sometimes you do have issues where, um, you know, they issue an update and there's a problem with it. They've got to issue a fix and carriers can, can create, you know, updates to where they might have like a, a very small update that you get, like, you know, a couple of megabytes that'll update something in their firmware or um, antenna stack. But by and large, you know, Apple controls the whole system. And so that puts them at an advantage, even taking out all the other things they do for security. You know, one of the engineers said, you know, none of this matters if users won't install updates. And so a big thing they've done is is really push to try to make it easier to install updates. And one of the problems they ran into, and they were pretty frank about this, was with iOS 8. You know, it required 4.6 gigabytes of space. And a lot of people didn't have that much space on their phones, especially if you had a 4 gig or, a, or an 8 gig or a 16 gig iPhone. You probably didn't have that much space. And Apple didn't say this, but I'll say this. The way iCloud works with photo stuff, it's not like Dropbox where you can just offload it to the cloud. You know, they, they make it scary, and, and, and you if you delete it from iCloud or you delete it from your phone, it's deleted from iCloud. And so, you know, people were kind of freaking out about how to do backups and, and were having to do them through iTunes. And they saw a big drop-off in the number of people who were installing updates. And so they worked really hard with iOS 9 to get the update size down to, I think, like 1.2 gigabytes. So it, it's still probably, you know, more than, than is good for a 16-gigabyte iPhone, which is yet another reason why 16-gigabyte iPhones should die in, in a fire. But, you know, they, they work to do that. They also have tech – they also do this in OS 10 where – It'll ask you to install later tonight, so it'll install it and yeah. you can say, hey, I don't have time to do this right now, but I'll install it later tonight, and automatically it'll install for you once it's on a charger at night. Right. So they're, they're doing everything they can to not make updates you know, automatic the way they are in Chrome, but as close to it as possible. Yeah. Which I think well, is And good. that's kind of been the touted benefit of the walled garden all along yes. was just software control for security reasons. So this this roundtable was ostensibly about security features. Was it also inspired or initiated by the encryption problems with the FBI? Absolutely. I mean, that was the elephant in the room, the whole thing. And, and, and one of the reporters asked at the end, you know, how do you feel about kind of the way that they're characterizing things about, you know, the, the government's kind of position, which is, you know, where do you draw the line between security and, you know, helping out Patriotism. with Patriotism. Right. And, and, you know, they, they feel like it's an important discussion to have, and, and, and it is. Um, it, but, you know, they feel like we're all ultimately safer. Let me find the quote that I have um, at this. Um, well, that, that last brief from the FBI was just – if they had started uh, – if, if, if I thought they started with uh, very impassioned, rather illogical arguments, that last brief they put out was the icing on the cake. Like it was just basically calling Apple – unpatriotic and anti-american yeah. no completely and but apple you know said somebody there said it, it's believes the data security is fundamental to our personal security in society and 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 you know they still do work with law enforcement and they have provisions around that it was interesting that the one area that we didn't really get into we talked about a bunch of things in, including sandboxing which i didn't even get to include in my piece but they didn't talk about icloud at all 
And, uh, you know, I, I, the, the sense that I got from one of the engineers that I spoke to, you know, at lunch, uh, was that there's probably a difference in opinion about iCloud, uh, being encrypted and not encrypted with an Apple, because I think that on the one hand, you have some people who are kind of purists who think for security and privacy sake, everything should be encrypted, just that that's how the backup should be stored. But I think that there's a very real consumer concern not even talking about offering stuff up to the police although i'm sure it doesn't hurt that they can at least make that offer which is you know if you forget your password and you don't have two-factor turn on right and you've got all your family photos you yep. what are you going to tell somebody if it's encrypted and you can't <laughs> get into it like what are you going to tell somebody and and I, and I think that's a fair thing to keep in mind you know there, there be, does become a very real usability concern if all of your backups are encrypted and there's well, no so way that anybody require require transition to two-factor well, I mean, I think that they're they're doing better with two factor about making that easier to use, but it's still kind of a clusterfuck. Yeah, I mean, two, two the, the, the 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 two step verification that they did was pretty terrible. You remember, you'd have to log in the key, and two factor is a lot better, but it's still I don't think it's perfect, and it really only works if you've got multiple Apple devices. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. But and, then again, and, that's also a goal of theirs. So. Well, it is, but I mean, I can just imagine a case where, let's say, you have a single iPhone and your iPhone is is breaking or something. Like, how are you going to now get it authenticated on another device? How are you going to authenticate? Like, that iPhone is broken. I've got to yeah. set up a new iPhone. What am I doing? Like, how do I get into it? You know what I, I mean? If I don't have another like. device. So yeah. Um, so the FBI, I don't think there was an official report, but sources say that there was Jack on the phone when they finally got into it. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're hearing. I mean, I feel like that's, uh, I mean, I think we all knew that. I don't, I, that hasn't been confirmed, but that seems like well, that's probably that accurate. was speculated from the very beginning. It was. There's probably well, nothing on that Well, of phone. course not, because it was his work phone. And, and he had like four other phones that were destroyed that they were not able to recover. So why, I mean, you know, they exerted all this effort on this work phone where. Well, it makes it even more obvious that this was a matter of principle, not of national security. Yeah. Completely. And, 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 and they kept saying over and over again, oh, no, it's not about this. It's not about this phone. It's not about, it's not about you know, it's just about this one phone. It's not about all phones. Here's and my if- favorite tweet from this. You ready? Yep. It's from a guy, uh, Jonathan, and then it's a Polish last name that has uh, a surprising number of vowels in it. Zdarsky? Zdarsky. Zdarsky. Yeah, Jonathan. Zdarsky. He's a pal of mine. He's great. Awesome. So, um, so the the tweet says, "FBI, you shouldn't do it. it, or you should do it. It's just one phone. Apple, no, it isn't. FBI, we got in. Apple, you should say how. It's just one phone. FBI, no, it isn't. <laughs> I think that summarizes it, it pretty does. well. Yeah, that basically is exactly it. They kept saying, no, it's just this one phone.' And then as soon as they got into that phone, they bought the zero day from whoever they bought it from. They basically said. Um, well, yeah, you know, all the other um, agencies in the, in the country are like, hey, help us get into these phones. And and there was this thing just today um, with uh, in New York, the Manhattan Attorney General Cyrus R. Vance or whatever, Jr., got together with like the NYPD and, and all these like victims advocates groups. And it was like, we're going to stand, you know, for 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 justice and 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 and, and encryption needs to to encryption shouldn't let anybody be able to do, uh, uh, get, you know, it's not fair that criminals have more security than victims or, or have more rights than victims or some specious, specious argument. And, and so they had a, a hashtag called hashtag unlock justice. 
And of course, what ended up happening like instantly was that the security community took over the hashtag and just started tweeting things like, um, without strong encryption, NYC's biggest industry finance would be devastated. Hashtag unlock justice. You know, I use crypto to create strong and unique passwords so I won't become a low-hanging fruit when a website user database gets stolen. Hashtag unlock justice. And then the best part of this, so everybody's basically kind of, you know, ripping on on, on the FBI and then the Manhattan DA for doing this, is that the, uh, the hashtag itself actually existed before and it existed for prison reform <laughs> so yeah that is funny i'm a big i'm a big uh prison reform person i am too and and it was it's just it, it's funny that they were of course i'm sure mad that people were hijacking their you know hashtag and but they hijacked <laughs> someone else's so <laughs> i got hijacked and then hijacked Exactly. I mean, that's the, like basically a chop shop at that point. Well, it, remember, it reminds me a couple years ago, the NYPD also had a, a fail where they decided to start this hashtag, my NYPD, where they wanted photos of people and police officers, like, I guess, like to show like how great the NYPD is. The problem is this happened like at the height of like the Ferguson riots and like Eric Garner and stuff. <laughs> and so really all that happened is people just started tweeting things about like police violence. Yeah. So speaking of strong encryption. Yeah. This episode of Overtired is brought to you by Casper, an on online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Was that an amazing segue? That was a fantastic segue because, frankly, that's what I want from my mattress companies. I want them to be encrypted. Because yeah. I, need, I need my sleep to be encrypted. Sleep is cryptic enough, I think. Although that would, yeah, the, like hijacking dreams would be I was going horrible. to actually say, because you dream in code, we, we've talked about this. <laughs> and so someone could steal your intellectual property if they were break if they were to break into your dreamscape. And I mean, wasn't that a movie? What movie am I thinking of that this was? Like Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, yes, but I thought Johnny there was Mnemonic. another one. Not Johnny Mnemonic, I thought. There were a few. Uh, I don't remember. I actually cannot remember the plot line to Johnny Mnemonic right now. But a lot of those Gibson and Sterling books were about mental hijacking anyway so for years the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups and casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the customer casper makes an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price especially for a mattress made in america compared to industry averages which are well over fifteen hundred dollars Casper mattresses range from only $500 for a twin to $950 for a king-size bed. Uh, those price points are well on the verge of totally insane. And I know buying a mattress online can have you wondering how this is possible, but it's because Casper cuts out the showroom and they really do pass the savings on to you. If you're still nervous about the idea of buying your mattress online, Casper has a completely risk-free trial and return policy. So you can try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. And that's, that is true. I have verified that you can actually ship your mattress back and zero sum. Um, and I, I've been sleeping on one of these for like a year now. And I, I love it still. Absolutely. It's the best mattress I've had. So I'm happy to have Casper as a sponsor. I've, I've been in the, in the market for a new mattress and it will almost definitely be a Casper. Based on I what do you recommend told me and based it. on their other stuff. So what you can do then is save $50 on that mattress you're looking for. Okay. Uh, by visiting casper.com slash overtired and using the promo code overtired. Excellent. So if you do that, we'll look good 
Yeah, we will look good. And you'll get a good night's sleep. You'll get a great night's sleep, and we'll look good. And, uh, yeah, it'll be awesome. All right. So I'm supposed to say, after that line about the $50 savings, that terms and conditions apply. Though I do not have, and I'm not going to read terms and conditions, I am, it's requested that I say terms and conditions apply. So note that I said that. Yeah, that's important. Okay. Okay. So um, my wife works for the ASPCA. Yes. She uh, goes on deployment and she assesses behavior and does a lot of dog care after fighting rings are broken up. And she's very excited about a movie that's screening right, uh, screening in Rochester, Minnesota tomorrow. And it's called The Champions. And it's about um, the Michael Vick dogs and everything that happened afterward. Uh-huh. And uh, the amazing number of them that are now happy family dogs. That's awesome. Um, it is. And and it's a great story. And, um, you know, I hear these stories. She, she For the last few months, she's been gone like every other week. She's out on one of these cases working with 50 to 700 dogs at a time. And uh, so, you know, I hear a lot of great stories. And I'm excited to go see this movie. And she's speaking at a panel afterwards. So if you're in the area, you should come. Um but yesterday, the news ran a story, it was a short story, but it, uh, it was a dog attack and it was a pit bull who, a family dog who had attacked a toddler, bit him in the face. Oh, God. Uh, took four people five minutes to pull the dog off the kid. And this is, they had lived together for a long time. The dog had no history of violence at all. And then this happens and... Uh, it happened, the the antecedent was, the kid was throwing gravel, and the dog got overexcited, redirected, you know, onto the kid's right. face, which is horrible, and, and it sucks, but it's a, it's a case-by-case thing, and as has been the t- the media response in, in the last 20 years, if it's any dog other than a pit bull, it's a dog attack, but if it's a pit bull, or Rottweiler, or, and used to be, Dobermans would be lumped in there. Yeah. Then it's suddenly that's the headline: pitbull attacks. Pit, pitbull attacks. No, totally, you're right. And and I, why do you think it is that the Dobermans left that? Because that was always my oh, family dog. Oh, dude, if you go back far enough, do you know what the pitbulls used to be? Uh, the northern breeds, like Saint Bernards, used to be as feared as pitbulls are right now. Interesting. Like there's and bloodhounds went through an era where bloodhounds were the most vicious dog, and there were all this this whole mythology about. How they would kill you in your sleep and whatnot. Um, That's interesting. Like it's a, we we villainize one one general breed at a time. It's just the way it's always done. And then Dobermans became the like big thug dog, you know, like right Magnum PI. Um, oh, completely. Every, but then everyone realized they're really they're kind of they're sweet. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. They're like super sweet dogs. They are. <laughs> you have to train them pretty hard to make them really good do. attack dogs. Right. I mean, I mean, they're, they're protective, but they're sweet. I mean, and they're smart. They're so smart. I grew up around Dobermans, and so it was always weird to me. Like, you know, like I'd have teachers, and I would tell like what type of dog I had to. I could tell like just their like physical reaction sometimes would be weird when I would say I had a Doberman. <laughs> And but I was always curious about that because growing up I never knew why like that would be like a big deal to have a Doberman as a dog. I was like, okay, right. I get it. My dog is probably bigger than your dog. I get that. You know, my dog always weighed more than me. Um, <laughs> but like, 
But yeah, so do Great Danes, but no one's scared of Great Danes, exactly. even though they can do a lot of damage. They can, because they're so huge. Well, because Marmaduke. Yeah, well, I mean, look at Petey from The Little Rascals, though. That was a pit bull. Yeah. And, and that was from an era in that time period Pitbulls were the ultimate family dog. They were like the American dog. And then I don't I don't exactly know what precedes each of these kind of vilifications of a breed, but somehow, yeah, pitbulls and and it was partly pitbulls do happen to be uh the their center of balance, their jaw strength, things like that do make them great for dog fighting. Right. I was going to say the, that's probably really what it comes down to is that once they started being used in those ways, whereas Dobermans and maybe other breeds weren't because right. they're too big and they're not really ideal for that. Whereas a pit bull is smaller. Right. Like can fighting be pit bulls are very small right. and they don't have cropped ears. Like most people wouldn't recognize a fighting dog if they saw one. Right. And um, so, and so, right. So, I mean, I think that that's what happens. And then once, you know, you start to, to breed enough dogs to do mm-hmm. certain act- activities, they might, you know, even though you can rehabilitate them, they are going to be more dangerous. And, well, and, but then it becomes a fashion thing agreed. too. And people who want the image of the dog right. fighter get pit bulls and like a good fighting dog. And that's why pit bulls are, are great for this because a good fighting dog will never attack a human. You want to be able to walk into the ring and pull your dog out without getting hurt. So the most vicious fighting dogs are actually very good pets at home. Uh, I mean, granted, a lot of them are abused and injured in ways that make them distrustful. Right. But they're, they're bred. I mean, it's, it's genetics. A good line of fighting dogs is not human aggressive. So, but now, are they still aggressive even after rehabilitation towards other animals? How does that work? Because I can see... So, I can see like doing doing train you know doing doing treatment to make them better with humans, but I would think right. that it might be harder, uh, you know, at a there, okay. Level. So there's there's a range, that at the base of a dog personality you have either dog friendly, dog selective, or dog aggressive. And dog selective is where a good range of the pit bulls I've known fall, where certain dogs with no provocation will get them riled up. Most of them are not. Okay, so the mindset that gets trained into a fighting dog is that your master wants you to hurt this other dog. And you're so intent, you're so interested in pleasing your master that you will do something that isn't natural for you. And a lot of these dogs, when taken out of this situation and given reinforcement for, you know, being a dog instead of being a killer, most of them are very quick to drop I shouldn't say most. In the cases of lifelong fighting dogs, I'd say there's probably about 50% that you take them out of that situation and and they're fine. They don't hate other dogs. They only did it because, because it was wanted were, of them. Right. There is, there's a good number out of these larger rings where the dogs have been bred for so many generations for dog aggression. Like they weeded out the dog selective and the dog friendly ones. They call it gaminess. And so you breed for gaminess, and over time, you you do have a dog genetically engineered right. to attack other dogs, and that's not something you can you can fix with behavior modification. Right, that's kind of what I was so, getting at. Because I mean, at a certain point, there does become like a genetic component to it. Right, but so so my concern with this whole thing then is this news story came out the day before the screening, and it's horrible timing because yeah. there are anti-pitbull advocacy groups in rochester and i have a feeling that 
this movie that we're all excited about and my wife is speaking on a panel at is going to be picketed and heckled. Um, and yeah, I mean, I hope not. I hope, me too, I but hope. I volunteered to bounce. Good. I'm, I'm practicing my politely exit people out face. Yeah, don't I, punch anyone. Just say um, I I'm would sorry. hope they would think, <laughs> even if you're anti pitbull, which is such a terrible thing to be, because it's like you should be anti the people that are breeding them this way. You know that, or you should be anti dog. But well, my Labrador is super friendly. Well, actually, Labradors have higher bite statistics than pitbulls do. They're, Golden Retrievers and Labradors, top, top in this part of the country anyway, they top the uh, the bite in, reported bite incidents. Now, do now how much of that is a factor of the fact that they are the most common breed of dogs? That that's a major factor. But pit bulls, at least around here, and I know that you know, especially as you go further south, pit bulls are some of the most common that will turn up in humane societies as strays. They're not the most common family dogs, but right. they are as there are as many of them on a per capita basis. There are as many pit bulls as there are golden retrievers. But you are correct. A lot of the circumstances where people would bother to report a bite are in families that wouldn't own a pit bull anyway. So that does I, all the bite stats are, in my opinion, kind of um, uh, questionable. I was going to say it seems like it seems like there are a lot of things involved there where you're not going to know. Well, there, some people put out, they put out, you know, studies, quote unquote, that are just completely fabricated, totally. which does not help the situation. No, it doesn't. I mean, because they're trying to, to prove that they're either, you know, their, their, their medicine or their form of behavior modification or their whatever agenda works. Or their, their ban all dangerous breeds right, that's agendas. What I'm saying. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You know, that, that, that works for them. So they want to, you know, cook the statistics one way or another. I do love every time I'm down in Southern California, I see so many, they're called gentle leaders. Have you seen, it's like a leash that is part, like it goes around the dog's nose and it kind of looks like a muzzle, but it's completely not restrictive to the dog. It just gives you uh, better control over the head. Yeah, I've seen those. And they're all, and then harnesses and all these things, like in Minnesota, generally, if you look at the age group and income level people that shouldn't really be owning a dog because they can't necessarily care for it well. Right. Um, they tend to have the prong collars and the chains and uh, and like chain leashes and all this stuff. And I get down there and even like the kids on the skateboards on the street with their pipples, they all have like gentle leaders and harnesses. And it's kind of makes me wonder how Minnesota and the entire Midwest and deep south all got so convinced that to fix a dangerous dog you put a prong collar on it and hurt it every time it gets angry i mean it probably comes down to where the breeds became more common and where the fighting became more common and like you know michael vick you know he was doing that in um what virginia right yeah he was doing that in the south and and, and he lived in atlanta and you know i think that that was probably coming down to that, that probably has something to do with it you know where, where you i don't Tradition. know well, tradition, but also probably just like where those rings are more co popular and, and whatnot. And so people like you learn bad habits. Yeah. Although there are parts of the South, like I grew up, uh, we had, you know, Dobermans, but we also had bird dogs, which are, of course, you know, basically just like, you know, hunting dogs, you know, and, and it are different sorts of breeds and are, are, are you know, do different sorts of things. And, and that felt like they were more like gentlemanly. You know what I mean? They're more yeah. like, oh, you know, this is this is a rich person's dog. 
uh, of, a, of a certain type of southern gentleman's rich person's dog, not like an actual rich person's dog now, which would be like, you know, some sort of, you know, genetically, for, for, you know, genetically modified, you know, poodle that doesn't shed. Her like, size, exactly. That's a rich person's dog now, whereas, you know, 50 years ago. I think you just came up with the title for the episode, which is a certain type of southern gentleman, rich man's dog. I think so. I think that's a good episode title. Actually, I'm calling it Abercrombie and fucking Fitch. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> okay. Um, so we should probably wrap yeah, up. Yeah, we should wrap up. So I can blow my nose. Yeah, you've done that plenty of times. Oh, no, you've sniffled. I've sniffled. You I haven't, haven't blown, blown my nose. No, I haven't. I've, I've held you off. Should get a, you should get a, a cough button and just go for it. Um, so we are on Twitter as O-V-R-T-R-D at, yeah. at overtired, but without enough vowels. Without what vowels, um, yeah. Well, except for the and O. And then, right. And then it gets kind of like <laughs> Polish phoneticism after that. But actually not enough Ys and Zs. So we also have uh, uh, iTunes where you can leave reviews. And thank you to everyone who has been leaving reviews. They yes, are and please do really that for fun. us because it's really great. And then Christina's on Twitter as film underscore girl and a lot of places as film underscore girl. Yep. And I am TT scoff and a lot of places as TT scoff. And I think if you go to TT scoff.com, you'll get to my website. That's hard to spell anyway. So Brett Chirp's that's all I have to say is just TT scoff. TT scoff. All right. T-T, well, huh? I hope you feel better, Christina. Thanks, dude. And I'm, uh, I, I, I bought that cough button app like that you like told me to buy years ago and now I can't find it. It's called Shush. Oh, that's why. Yes, I highly recommend it. Um, so you know what's good for getting better? What's that? Sleep. Ha ha ha! It all comes full circle. I'm gonna take a nap on my not Casper mattress, but wish it was a Casper mattress. And uh, and Brett, you get some sleep too. You. The system is going down low.